God is good all the time. Yeah, all the time. That's good. Well, yeah, okay, I'm done. That's kind of the message for today, actually, if you really get right down to it. God is good. It's one of the most profound truths that, that a Christian or anyone can get a hold of. That God is good. If you went to seminary and you came out of seminary and that was all that they taught you, on the one hand, you'd ask for your money back because you'd think, well, I'd like to learn a few other things other than just that one truth. But on the, on the other hand, if you came away with a deep, profound conviction about that, like it was just really seared into your soul, you, you might break even on that deal. That might actually be okay. So I'm on my last topical message of the year. I prom- Well, I can't promise. Um, I don't love doing topical messages. We will get back to our expositional thing, working our way through Acts. We're almost done with that. But at the tail end of the last year and coming in now to the new year, I felt like it would be a good thing uh, to have one last topical message. And this is what came to mind. I'm kind of indebted to Sinclair Ferguson um, for the, some of the thoughts of this message Um, Not directly anything here taken from him other than he really brought this out in a book that I was reading a a couple years ago, and and it just really captured my fascination. It was one of those things I wish... I'd gotten a hold of years ago and brought it into the very beginning of my years of, of, um, of ministry. To which you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Jay, did you not know all along that God was good? I mean, this would be what we teach toddlers. Like, what do we teach when they come to the pastor? What do I teach a toddler about God? God is good. Yeah? That's where we would absolutely start. You know, what was wrong with me that I didn't get that? No, I... Trust me, I understood that just kind of the way we all do. When I say this, nobody's like shocked. Oh, God is good. Okay, wow, that's profound. Um, You know it. You know it. But but to realize that this is the very crux of whether we make any progress in faith, that, 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 that this truth is so essential that without a deep rooted conviction of, and this is the part that I think just got big to me, it's that. It's the necessity of that being deeply, deeply embedded in our hearts. Without that, you're not going to be a growing Christian. You're not going to be joyful. You're probably not even going to be useful in his kingdom. Are you with me now? And you're like, oh, well, maybe this is something more than what we thought when we saw the, saw the thing. Yeah, God is good. It's getting a hold of that conviction that's necessary. And believe it or not, though you know it with the one part of your brain there, there might be a lot right down deep in you that denies it. So to show you that this is at the root of our issues, consider that Satan targeted this from the beginning. Let's go back and look at the beginning there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was, pe- was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
So you look at that. Now, this is well-worn territory. I know we've all, we've all heard it. We've all probably thought about this. You know, of course, the first thing he does is he questions the word of God. Did God actually say? He questions the truthfulness of God when he says, you will not surely die. So God's wrong about that. But then he gets to the core of it. The core of it is that there's this good thing that God is withholding from them. That God knows that your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So God's whole character is under attack. He sows in Eve's mind the idea that God is not good. What is God in Satan's view, in, in the serpent's view? It's that God is withholding. God is grudging. God is stingy. And frankly, he's not very honest. You cannot trust a God like that. Disobedience and doubt lie at the heart of man's sin, but back it up one step further, and how do we get to the doubt and the disobedience? It it comes down to what do we think about God? If Adam and Eve had, had simply understood and learned the lesson of the garden up to that point, they would have so trusted in the innate goodness of God known without any doubt that he would be good in all circumstances, and, he, and they would have just looked at Satan and said, well, that's ridiculous. God is good. So God couldn't tell us anything that would be for evil for us. So just go pound sand. Slither away on your belly, dude. We, we just don't want to have anything to do with you. But, but it's sad. The, the tactic worked. Here's your 2023 assignment, should you choose to accept it. And the old Mission Impossible idea there, should you choose to accept it, is to just get a hold of this truth, this root idea. Make this the year where that coin fully and finally and utterly drops. God is good, not just with this, but with the whole heart and soul that we grasp that and believe it and trust it, that we, that we gain exponentially more confidence in that root idea. Yeah? Be surprised how much it ties back to it. We need to recognize the issue, and that's always half the battle, isn't it? I remember way back, it's bad when you have to say that, preface that when you're talking about your college years, but it's true. Way, way back, Psych 101. There was this lesson where they talked about the corpus callosum. You know, all you medical people, you understand what the corpus callosum is. It's it's sort of like, like the dividing wall between the two hemispheres of the brain, but it's not really a wall. It's a communication bundle of nerves, and so that's how your two hemispheres talk to each other. And um, in rare ca- cases, for reasons, you know, like, uh, like severe epilepsy and some other things, that you've had people that have had that severed, either intentionally or unintentionally. And when that happens, the two halves of the brain can't really rightly communicate with one another. If you're a medical doctor, and, and I'm really messing this up, just understand, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I understood from Psych 101, so it must be true. But, you know, the two halves couldn't, can't really communicate, and so like the, uh, they said that, the, that you could tell someone to go open the door and walk through it, and they wouldn't be able to, pro- they could, well, they could process it on one half of their brain, but the part of the brain which is automatic, which learns pattern behavior on the, the, on the other hemisphere, wouldn't be able to, to, to pick up on that, so the person couldn't obey the instruction but if you kind of led them over to the door that part of the brain would go oh door open and go through but the two halves couldn't communicate you're like where is this going okay every christian knows from the scripture that god is altogether good and that resides in some part of us the knowledge god is good 
You knew that when you were a toddler. God is good. Is God good, honey? Yes, God is good. All right, you were there. But with this other part of the soul, with this other part of our being, there's this part of us that isn't completely and 100% convinced of that truth. We don't, you know, we harbor in our hearts the constant misgiving, the constant suspicion, the temptation that maybe God isn't really good to me. Maybe God doesn't really love me, maybe the way he loves other people, maybe God loves some people and he loves some people better, but maybe not me. Maybe I'm not really receiving what I ought to receive from God. We see a command in scripture and, and we don't connect it with the goodness of God. That's, that's, that's part of our problem right there. When God commands something, we immediately, there's, there's that part of us that goes, hmm, 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 hmm. God can't possibly want good for me in that command. For instance, oh, I'll just pick a random command that I like. Uh, do not forsake assembling yourselves together. Right? How many Christians wake up on a Sunday morning and their thought is, man, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to have to sit through another sermon from Pastor Jay and fight sleep the whole time or whatever it is, you know. And, and, and it would, I would be so much better off if I could get more sleep. But rooted in the idea is that, well, you know, if they do get themselves out of bed, it's because, well, you know, God's, God's going to be mad at me. Instead of, this is something good that God wants for me. Sinclair Ferguson makes the point that when we kind of decorticate that, those two views of God, um, if, we, if we separate what God is in his goodness from like his commands, then we always harbor suspicion of whatever he tells us to do. So we become legalists. Either legalists because we say, well, that's just too hard and God, God must not want good things for me, so I'll, I'll just engage in those good things and just try to pretend God doesn't know about them. Yeah? I'll just go, I'll just license. And the other view of legalism is to say, well, God, God doesn't want good for me, but I don't want to get zapped. So I'll just keep, you know, I'll just rigidly keep the, the letter of the law, not from my heart, but just, just to keep the mean God away from me. In both cases, the person suspects that God is not good. Think about it. If you trust your father or mother, and they say, honey, now there's an old cistern out back behind the house, and it's deep, and it's dark, and it's dangerous, so I don't want you playing around the cistern. You stay away from that. Now, if you know your mother and father and you deeply know that they are good, then what do you, what do you know about what they've told you? Well, that's for my good. Yeah. It, there, there's probably rattlesnakes down there. There's probably broken pieces of rebar sticking up ready to you know, impale me and you think that they're good. They wouldn't tell me anything. But you know, if you harbor the suspicion that they're really just out to keep you from having fun, you're like, oh, I'll bet there's gold down there. You know? <laughs> And they get down there and find a, at least a bike with a banana seat or something's down there. <laughs> if, if you separate the idea of them being good from their instruction, you will disobey and you won't trust that, that, that it's for your ultimate good. And that's, it's, that's, what, that's the problem when it comes to our understanding of God and all that God commands and all of his ways. Either we go... You know, either we fully embrace that God is actually good, and then we start exploring, well, what does that mean? How, how can I enjoy the goodness of God in what God has commanded? Or do we go the opposite way? You know, eh, 
I'm going to obey him because I've got no other choice, but I'm going to try to work around every angle I can on this deal where the real fun is. It's all about our view of God. Waking up, realizing that, seeing that that's the, that that's the fault, the root fault can really open up new ideas to you in your Christian faith. So let that percolate a little bit. Take this home, take this with you in this idea. God is good. God is good. That's, that's a root sin is, is denying that. Okay, then we need to challenge that idea, that challenge the lie that God is not good. And how do you do that? Well, let me give you four quick ways to see the goodness of God. So embracing his goodness. First of all, just consider creation. Just everything that God has made, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything about the world around us just speak to his existence. And you say, well, science has come along and explained that away. Oh, no, it has not. In fact, scientists are starting to come to the place where they realize that the universe is so miraculously fine-tuned that it shouldn't exist. When you hear these crazy ideas about the multiverse, that there have to be multi... Do you know why they came up with that theory, which has no proof whatsoever of its existence? It's because the random odds of one universe like ours coming into existence are so astronomically impossible that they have to have an infinite number of universes just to have the possibility of a universe so perfect as ours existing. Isn't that crazy? Long before the Hubble telescope and Einstein and quantum physics, Paul said this to the Lystrans. He wrote this. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good. It's talking about God. He did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, hey, you guys are just stupid pagans. But even without a knowledge of Yahweh, you can see that a good God had to make that. Think for a minute just uh, about, what was it, about 10 days ago on a Thursday that we got to 35 below wind chill? You guys remember that, right? Did you sleep through it? No? And at the time you're thinking, man, that is really, really cold. Man, it could kill you. Stop and think for a minute, though, about why that seems so cold. It's because God in his goodness has, has made this planet in such a way that we can live in this moderate climate, overall moderate, when you compare it to the universe's temperatures. I mean, you've got, you've got supernovas that are millions of degrees hot, and you've, and you've got absolute zero, which is like, I don't know, like a couple hundred degrees below zero centigrade and 400 and some odd degrees below Fahrenheit, and we live in this little tiny swath on this perfect planet, perfectly situated to our sun, everything just so that life exists in this narrow little bandwidth, and we take it for granted every day, such that when it hits 35 below windchill, we're like, whoa, God must be trying to kill us or something. We also have his word. God's word declares his goodness from the very beginning of the book. God, everything he makes, he keeps saying, it's good. It's good. The good God. Every good gift comes from him, from the Father of lights. Psalm 107.1, which we read, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For he is good. For steadfast love endures forever. This is God's proclamation throughout the scripture. Think about his providence. Providence just means God's way with you in this world. Has his providence not been good to you? Now, I know I, you can go, well, I, I'm not happy with everything. Well, I don't like all 99 trees that he lets me eat from. I really think that that one that I'm not getting is the one that I really would be most satisfied in. 
But think about his providence in your life, all the ways God has been good and kind to you. How can, how can you measure that? And then, of course, his greatest demonstration is in his son. His goodness is demonstrated in sending his son. Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We need to lay hold of that truth. We need to challenge the voice, the persistent. And that's where I, see, this is where the aha comes in because I don't think we understand how how persistent the voice of our flesh really is. Understanding that, that it's that voice that challenges, is God really good? Some of God's prophets struggled with this. Think about Jonah. I love, and I know I mentioned Jonah like two weeks ago, but I'm going to mention him again. So Jonah is just a great example of somebody that really questioned the goodness of God. Not for the reasons we would normally question the goodness of God. He was upset that God was merciful. Remember that? God, God, didn't, you know, God didn't pour uh, fire and brimstone down on the Ninevites, and he was absolutely cheesed off about that. He could not handle that, and he goes outside the city, and he's sitting there, you know, harumph, watching Nineveh, waiting for it to fry. Plant grows up, gives him shade, and he's like, ah, ah I'm going to be able to watch these people die in comfort. This is good. I see he's got figured out what good is, and, um, and then God doesn't do it. And now he's just miffed at God, and the plant dies on top of it. Now he's scorched in the sun. He's getting scorched. Nineveh, they're just enjoying a nice, cool day uh, there, you know, and, uh, and he's fit to be tied. And God's like, are you, well, this is what he says, actually. But God said to Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Well, why wouldn't he be? Look how awful God was. God, God chose not to destroy his enemies. God was bad, right? Wasn't God being bad? I don't think so, Jay. Jonah thought so. He didn't think so. He thought so. He, he would have never said, I think Yahweh's a bad God. He would have never written that sentence. But you understand, in his heart, that's all he's thinking. Why are you this way, God? Am I, am I, is it okay to be angry? Yes, it's okay to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. I'm angry at you for being God and for being who you are. And I don't think goodness is defined the way you're defining goodness. It's the basic human nature. What we need to do is confront the lie before it grows up and ensnares us. Cut it, cut it off. Challenge it with the truth. I think this is a life ambition for us because it, it, it continues to plague us. You know, the scripture says we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. And we, we think our ang- it means anger at our spouses and our children and, and at our children and, and our spouses. And, but we don't, we don't really think about it being toward God. How often do, do we go to bed and we don't even think about it, but we're just angry at life. That's what we say. We're angry at life. Are you angry at God? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. On some level, you're, you're, it's like, you don't like providence, God's care of you. You call it life, and you're miserable about it, and you're angry at it. We need to, we need to root that out. I know I sound like I'm really kind of harping on this, but, 
But honestly, if we get a hold of that and we see it for what it is, it will be so helpful. Make 2023 the year that, you, that we just come against that and, and, and we don't accept it any longer. I'm mad and I'm not going to take it anymore, to quote an old movie. All right. Not, not at God. Mad at being mad at God. It, yeah? Okay. We need to repent of a hard heart to, toward God. When we judge God as our first parents did, that is actually sin. It's not just a quirk. It's not just a foible. This, this is sin. At, at almost the root level, this, this is sin. How many of you have ever accused your spouse of losing, parenthesis put in there, whatever it is you always think your spouse is misplaced for you? Anybody ever do that? I'm alone in this. It got really quiet, mostly because you're afraid of being hurt. Better be careful how I tread here. But, you know, we've all done this. Whether it's our kid or our brother or, or our spouse. You're like, hey, I can't find my yeah, keys. I can't find my keys. I know I had my keys. And I always put my keys down there. And now they're gone. But I saw you cleaning the other day. And you were straightening. You were in a whirlwind. Where did you put my keys? Didn't touch your keys. Yeah, okay, whatever. And then you go and you hunt and you search. And, 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 and you're just fit to be tied. And then all at once... There's the keys, you know, right there in the ice maker where you put them. And, and you remember putting them there. That's the sad thing. At that moment, oh, yeah, right, I remember that. And then you have to, I'm sorry. You, you, you've got your mea culpa ready to go, right? I'm sorry that I suspect it wasn't you and it was me and I'm, I'm, I'm bad. Um, there's an interesting bit of dialogue that, uh, that Jesus gives us in the parable of the talents that, that kind of connects with this this root idea, this root suspicion that God isn't good. And it's kind of like that, that way we feel about our spouse for losing our keys. It comes up in the parable of the talents. This is the guy that, you remember the guy that buried his talent? He's not, he didn't do anything with it. He didn't multiply it in any fashion. He, he kind of gets scolded just, just a little bit. <clears throat> he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, you know, I think we read that, most of the time when we're reading the parable, we're thinking about application of using our gifts or whatever it is, and I think we skip right over that line, and, and sometimes I wonder if that's the most important line in the whole parable. I knew you were a hard man. App, applying the parable, who's he talking about? God. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a stand-in for God. Hey, God, whatever you gave me, you know, I, I wasted it because I knew you were a hard man. I harbored this suspicion, this belief. I had this hard heart toward you because I thought you were hard. God forbid that we should have a malicious opinion of God. I know God doesn't feel in the way a human being feels, so I don't want to attribute something to him that that would be wrong, but I I know as a human being, as a parent, that there were times, maybe if you're a parent you can relate to this, when my kids thought, Dad's a bad guy because I didn't let them do something which I considered to be harmful to them or dangerous or not, they're not ready for emotionally or whatever the case may be or where I had to discipline them. And it's like, he's bad. It's like, well, I've been good to you my whole life. How would you suddenly think that I'm bad? Well, because I'm not getting what I want. Yeah? And how, you know, The Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, if that's true, if calling something, a thing, evil that's good or good that's evil 
or a human being. I mean, slander. Like, say you slander someone. Not a good thing, but you know they probably deserve it, right? Because they're a human being. So even if you don't get this one right, eh, they're probably guilty of something. That's bad in and of itself, but what? When you call the God of the universe, the, the covenant Lord who, who loved you, who created and fashioned you, who entered into covenant with you through the blood of his own son, if, if we harbor of him this idea that he is evil, that, that's like the ultimate sin, isn't it? Before 2023 really cranks up in earnest, consider your heart right now. Just for a moment, think to yourself, what is your complaint against God? What is it? Because most of us have one. You say, well, I don't have any complaints against God. Okay, what is it about life that you don't think is fair? Yeah? What, what do we harbor in our hearts against God? Are we not guilty of saying of God, I knew you were a hard man, and so I grudgingly served you. I joylessly worshipped you. Where does that come from? It comes from a heart that isn't convinced, really truly convinced that this God that we serve is a good God. If you make this your passion, if you go after this and you really get a hold of it in your Christian life, I'm convinced that this will make a whole difference in your, in your life and, and in this year to come. Finally, we need to arm ourselves. Really dry today. <clears throat> we need to arm ourselves. Recently, I got a phone call from one of my family members, uh, one of my children, in fact, asking me what kind of gun they should buy. Um, well, you've come to the right place. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I know guns. I don't know guns, really. I, I, I got this much knowledge, and they got what they paid for in terms of advice. But, I, I, you know, I told them what I thought. It's like, well, why, were, why was your kid wanting to buy a gun? Well, they're moving soon, and, and they're, you know, they, he, a couple rifles need to go, but, you know, want a handgun for self-defense because we're moving to a difficult part of the country that you read about in the headlines and stuff. It's a higher crime area and all of that good stuff. So they just wanted to be ready. They wanted to arm themselves, and I think that's okay. Um, if a security expert came to your house looking uh, over your, your home, what would they be looking for? They'd be looking for where a criminal could come in and find a weak place. It seems to me that when we think about the year ahead and our spiritual lives, we have to realize that there are, there's a criminal that we could talk about, um, and that criminal's been around for a long time, and, and he got our, our forefathers started in a really bad direction, that old serpent. It seems to me like his game plan hasn't really changed. That at the root, at the heart of it, what he's still trying to convince us of on a daily basis is that God's not good, God's not fair, God is stingy, God is grudging, you can't trust him. If, you, if you've entered into a covenant with him, good for you, but you know what? You better keep the rules really straight and tight. Not from your heart, but just because, you know, that's, that's how he is. He's a hard man. I think that's, that's still Satan's way of coming at us. So prepare for it with sort of, think of it like, okay, uh, sort of a recapitulation of what happened at Eden, and you're, and you're up against that kind of an enemy. How do, you, how do you come against it? How do you get ready for it? I think you meditate on this truth. Grab hold of it. 
Please, grab hold of this truth today. God is good. Meditate on it. Think about God's goodness. We talked about providence. Think back over your life. Now, don't think about the one tree he's not letting you eat from. And you may say, well, there's 20 trees he hasn't let me eat from. You get the point, right? Look, what has he done for you? How many times has he shown you his love, his faithfulness, his grace, caused his sun to shine upon you, his rain to fall and, and, and water the crops? Think about all of his goodness, his providence. Get spiritually muscular. Grab a hold of truths from Scripture. Look at them so that you are ready to stand in that day because this, this is just a daily thing, you understand. This, this is not a rare occurrence that, that that temptation befalls us. It's all the time. It's the root temptation. Become a preacher this year. And I don't mean quit your day job. Um, I mean become a preacher and preach this message to yourself. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. In fact, I, want you, I think you could remember it throughout the whole coming year. If you're here today and you're listening to this, beginning of 2023, it's a three-word sermon you're preaching to yourself. Can you figure out what it is? Starts with God. Yeah, God is good. God is good all the time. Preach that to yourself. Get a hold of that. Be determined about it. See that God loves you. See, see his, his wonders in creation, his goodness to you, his, his ultimate love in sending his son. And there's going to be times when you don't understand his way with you, times when it will be hard. There will be challenges. But in the words of a, of a popular song from a few years ago, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. And that's just saying trust the root goodness of God. I don't understand, but I know. It's kind of like flipping it the other way. Instead of just knowing God is good but not really grasping it, it's sometimes looking and going, I don't know, but I know. I know that he is good. Preach that to yourself. If you don't have confidence of a relationship with a good God, God demonstrated his goodness by sending his son into the world. God, was, the father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The good news, it's called good, of the gospel is held out to everyone. It's preached to all the world and God commands men everywhere to hear the good news and repent and believe in his son. Yeah, he commands them. You say, well, there's that command thing again. See? See the problem? Why does God command it? Because God is good. and Because the gospel is for our good. Take hold of that. Turn. Believe in Jesus Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, this very simple, very simple message is on every page of the scripture. Help us to embrace it, to see it. Lord, our flesh wars against it. The tempter is constantly tempting us to, to believe the opposite. Lord, help us with a, with a whole heart, with a concerted effort and, and, and with a zeal to take hold of this truth that you are good. And all your ways with us are ultimately good. All of them are working for our good. And ultimately we see that in your son. We pray that the goodness of the gospel might flow from us. We might see the rose vase fill this year. Lord, that because we're just, we're just imbued with that 
that vision of your goodness and we want to share it. Help us to do so, Lord. You are worthy of it. Help us to see that daily. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.